Welcome, my friends, to the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, Adam McManus from theworldview.com, which is our weekday news update, so typically five to six minutes, and we give you an update on what's going on in the world from a distinctively biblical perspective. We do the best we can to prioritize the stories and bring our, the right the right worldview to the news. Hey, everybody's biased. It's just which bias are you going to be biased by, as our friend Bill Jack likes to say, uh, and we... we Freely say, yeah, we're going to be biased biblically. We're going to, that's that's our direction, and uh, it's the best bias to be biased by. Why? Because ultimately, the best worldview, the best starting place, is always God's truth. Otherwise, you have no starting place. Whatever starting place you're working off of is random, and uh, so you have no certainty that you are filtering the facts of the universe by the right filter, by the right worldview. Unless we start with what with God's revealed truth. All right, so that's our worldview, and that's why it's the best worldview, the ultimate worldview, by which to understand the world around us. All right, so we're back into the news today, and we want to talk about Christian nationalism. Have you ever heard the term strange bedfellows? Politics makes for strange bedfellows. Yes, we we don't necessarily want to lie down next to someone who doesn't align with us perfectly but we feel compelled to be there nonetheless right. and a lot of people voted for donald trump you probably wouldn't have them over for a christmas party i mean let's just say it you know uh back in the 1990s i remember the patriots the militias remember those groups and uh, conservative libertarian type of groups and certain uh radical patriots and uh, we just don't want to be tossed into the same bed with certain bedfellows and the liberal media would do that by stereotyping and straw manning and all the other forms of logical fallacies that they come up with. But, uh, you know, we could wind up in the same voting base simply because we want less government, a reduced federal power, and so forth. And we may wind up with certain peoples with whom we don't agree on a fair number of issues, but we're voting for the right. same person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. All right. So... That's part of what we're going to get into today. Christians, we want to reserve the right to define our terms. We don't like either ditch. Can I not be in either ditch? Two ditches, you know? Usually there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And by the way, if you can only see one ditch, you're probably in the other. (laughs) So that's just something to keep in mind. I remember, though, what Jesse Helms said to me in person with a number of other reporters at the time. I was a Christian talk show host in Durham, North Carolina, WRTP, and he said, the only two things in the middle of the road are yellow stripes and dead possums, and I thought it was a good point that we don't want to be middle of the road either. We don't want to be in the ditch, but politically speaking, you and I would both fall on the right side of the political spectrum, but hopefully not in the ditch with the the white nationalists, the white supremacists, for example. Yeah, so you're right. And I, I would just say there's a hump on the road uh, that is represents that which is most true. And uh, yeah, we, we want to be radical in our alignment with God's law, with God's standard of righteousness, so to speak. But the point is that there are usually two flavors, minimum two flavors, or three flavors, or four flavors of what is wrong. Wrong perspectives. 
So, you know, you can have radically wrong perspective over here, radically wrong perspective over there, and then you have that which is radically right. And that's where we want to be, absolutely. And, you know, people come out against us for being fundamentalist Christians. And you know what? I have to say, you know what? I am. I'm a radical Christian. I'm radically in support of whatever God said. And I'm probably not radical enough in my support of God's word. I'm not self-consistent enough about bringing God's word to bear upon my own life. And so, yeah, I think the word fundamentalist is okay, except for the fact that, of course, they uh, stuff it with other presumptions and and things that are not appropriate. But if you take the word and just break it down into its most basic parts, yes, I'm a fundamentalist in that I believe in the fundamentals of Christianity, that God created this world, that man sinned, that Jesus Christ is sinless and came to die in my place. He was buried and rose again. And through a relationship with him and forgiveness of my sin, I can be assured of an eternal address in heaven. And the Bible is true. Those are the fundamentals of the Christian faith. All right, we're going to hit this news story in just a moment. Let's take a break. Christian nationalism in North Idaho. It's a religious news service story. You know what that's going to turn out like. (laughs) RNS is not the paradigm of that which is right, but that which is wrong, (laughs) that which is on the left side. Be back with more in just a moment on the Generations Broadcast. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And welcome back to Generations. Kevin Swanson with you, also Adam McManus from theworldview.com. And covering this Religion News Service article, and they're just an organization that's a pro-homosexual media outlet whose main goal in life is to pretend that they're religious, but to irritate people like me. (laughs) That's right. Kevin Swanson. (laughs) Dated February 22nd, the headline, How Big Christian Nationalism Has Come Courting in North Idaho by Jack Jenkins. Referring first to this representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, who addressed the Republican Central Committee in Kootenai County about, you know, uh, putting God back in Idaho, etc., I have no idea who she, who this congresswoman is. Well, she is a huge Trump supporter, very devout. She's outspoken. She was, to her credit, outspoken against all the COVID lockdowns and shutdowns. She has definitely championed the notion that the 2020 election has been stolen. And that's why there have been political rumors circulating the last several weeks that she might be on a short list for 
Trump's vice presidential pick. It would be pretty exciting, I think, for his base to see him pick a woman and pick someone that is very outspoken, and certainly she fits the bill. However, I think she made a mistake by calling for the secession of the Republican red states from the blue states in America is if we want more division than we already have. I think that's honestly almost political suicide, but it's also very short-sighted. That's not going to solve our problems. We just need to champion conservatism and Christian notion of what it means to be a citizen and let the chips fall where they may, but secession is not the answer. Well, certainly not the timing. Uh, We'll see what happens in the future of this nation, but uh, yeah, I'd say here timing is off, to say the least. Um, But this article is referring to what's going on in Idaho. And I don't know if Idaho is a microcosm of what is happening in other places around the country. Uh, But North Idaho, it says, been long known for hyper-libertarians, apocalyptic preppers, white supremacist groups who have retreated to the region, sweeping frozen lakes and wild forests to wait the collapse of American society, etc. But in recent years, the state's existing separatists have been joined by conservatives, fleeing bluer Western states, opportunistic uh, faith leaders, real estate developers, and most recently those opposed to COVID-19 restrictions and vaccines. Though few arrive carrying Christian nationalist banners, many have quickly adopted aspects of the ideology to advance conservative causes and seek strength and unity. I don't particularly think that you know she's doing anything more in this article or whoever this this writer is than to basically just you know cook up concern among the liberals that there are conservatives out there that disagree with liberals and they have some interest in political involvement. <laughs> that that's that, that the main reason why these. These liberal media folk uh, raise these issues, but apparently there's a number of stories. There, there are increasing numbers of Christians that are gathering in certain states, and we've actually covered this issue a number of times on the radio broadcast. But it is interesting that uh, that they're coming together in groups, and she refers to uh, prepper-friendly congregations in the Reformed Church tradition. And uh, there is this uh, fellow named Rowles, James Wesley Rowles, who is the American Redoubt, moved uh, to the mountain states. He has a 4,000-word treatise calling safe havens in the American Northwest, specifically Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, eastern sections of Oregon, Washington. Now, I don't know who this guy is. I never come ran into him before. But uh, but evidently, his reach was magnified by outlets such as Radio Free Redoubt, a podcast geared towards God-fearing, liberty-loving patriots, and Redoubt News, an online publication featuring the Christian conservative culture. The Redoubt is growing rapidly, bolstered by conservative flight, chiefly from California, Idaho, and Montana, repeatedly ranked among the U.S. Census Bureau's top five fastest-growing states in recent years. According to a recent study overseen by Job Voss, a University of Idaho professor of planning and natural resources, one in four Idahoans did not live there 10 years ago. So there's no question in my mind there is a migration. In fact, we just did a program with uh, folks that are in Kentucky, and they're finding that this is a wonderful opportunity for migration into a less citified, less bluish area of the country in which you know you don't have to worry about local liberal politicians shutting everything down and forcing a mask on you for the next 2.6 years. Yeah, but Professor Voss of University of Idaho was saying that 
the reason they're coming is really the cheaper housing and the lower taxes. But the blogger to whom you referenced, Rawls of Reformed Baptist, James Rawls, who wrote this very almost viral blog post in 2011 called the American Redoubt Move to the Mountain States, that they're coming for political and religious reasons, as well as the cheaper housing and the lower taxes. It's a it's a combination of, of both. And there certainly have been realtors that have championed it. Uh, one has almost put themselves under this umbrella term of Redoubt Realtors, and they call themselves Revolutionary Realty. And their website features bald eagles, American flags, and a banner that says, Welcome to the heart of the Great American Redoubt, North Idaho. When Coeur City Council in Idaho was considering whether to take Biden's American Rescue Plan Act money for pandemic health measures, a number of citizens came to the microphone and railed against COVID-19 restrictions and the government interference, calling it tyranny, saying that, look, we are here because we wanted to escape all this tyrannical government top-down mentality of California and Washington state. Someone that you've featured in at least one or several interviews over time is Doug Wilson, who is a reform pastor from Moscow, Idaho. Right. And he he shows up in this article. No surprise there. I mean, they're a major presence in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, I have met him once. We've had him on the program a couple of times over the years. Christ Church. And yeah. And he says, man, their church has doubled in size in the last four years. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. A lot of the fomented discontent of the last two years, I would say, is 80% of the reason people come here, said Wilson in a recent interview in his office. The pastor himself, while claiming his take on pandemic rules is more nuanced, has made dismissive fun of masking and argued in favor of fake vaccine cards for the unvaccinated. I think we've referred to that before. Wilson insisted he doesn't consider himself a card-carrying member of the Redoubt movement. Um. Nevertheless, you know, they're benefiting from this massive move away from the blue cities into the red areas of the country. And that's that's happening in Moscow, Idaho, big time. And his publishing house, Canon Press, recently released a book entitled The Case for Christian Nationalism. That is interesting in terms of a data point. Even though he doesn't consider himself a card-carrying member of the Redoubt movement, his publishing group thought enough of this book to publish the case for Christian nationalism. Yeah, and and and, and let's let's take that up today. I, you know, I think we've referred to this before on the program. But here here's the first point that I want to make. I think the reason for these articles, the reason for the liberal media going after Douglas Wilson and others, is they just don't want Christians involved in politics at all. <laughs> for obvious reasons, they sniff out Christians who want to apply their worldview to real life. These guys are going to hit the ceiling fan. That's what's going on here. Now, every other religion can apply their worldview to politics, and the liberals are okay with that. In fact, you hardly ever run into liberal media that says, oh, the Muslims are incorporating Sharia law in Iran or Iraq or wherever. And, you know, oh, big problem. The Muslims can do whatever they want to do. It's just when Christians get involved in politics and say, hey, we want to apply God's law. That's because, you know, the liberals are against the true and living God. They hate his law. And that's why Christians are off limits when they try to apply their worldview in the marketplace of ideas. I mean, you you notice with Jimmy Carter, he immediately said, I'm a Christian, but no, I wouldn't ever apply my faith to my politics. 
Well, the same thing applies here. Well, I appreciate the fact that one leader of an Idaho church called the Altar Church, Pastor Tim Remington, invited 15 candidates for state and local office. And I think the Religion News Service probably cringes at all of this, but I think it's fantastic. They were sitting there in the service. He dialogued with them about positions on issues, and he asked them, raise your hands, not among the congregation, but among the 15 political candidates for state and local office. Do you intend to vote for biblical values while in office? All 15 of the candidates raised their hand. Well, that's fantastic, and we'd like that to be the case all the time. Amen to that. Sure. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about this term of Christian nationalism. Uh, Let's go over this. Now, again, the problem with labels is that they are labels. And, And once you get a label, anybody can stuff that label with whatever meaning they want to stuff it with. Now, let's just take it apart for a moment. When it comes to nationalism, I'm not against nationalism as opposed to internationalism. So, you know, sometimes the liberals aren't willing to say, okay, let's talk about the two options. They're they're rather just slamming Christians or slamming conservatives because they're more committed to nationalism than internationalism. Now, just to say you're nationalist doesn't mean that you're a Nazi. You know, just the fact that you stand for a nation and you are going to be obedient to the laws of the nation, you know, honor to whom honors due, taxes to whom taxes are due, and so forth. The Romans 13 mandate. Just the fact that you subscribe to the nation and you're going to submit yourself to the nation and you're going to be thankful for the freedoms offered by that nation and you're less excited about internationalism doesn't mean that you're a Nazi. Okay, I hope that makes sense to anybody who still has a brain left and can think rationally about these things. Um, but uh, the disagreements are stirred up when we don't talk about you know what we mean by nationalism. We prefer nationalism over an internationalism in the sense that decentralization of powers is helpful. Given man's sin- sinful tendencies, you've heard the term power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. For that reason, we would rather not. Any organization have international power over all of the nations of the earth. Well, outside of Jesus. (laughs) Let me take a stab at why they don't like the term nationalism in in the phrase Christian nationalism. And that is because the average leftist rejects the idea that America is a special or an exceptional place where the original founding and vision for this country had a very... Christian worldview, number one. Number two, in light of the 1619 Project of the New York Times, which takes America back not to the moment of 1776 when we were birthed through the Declaration of Independence, but to 1619 to Jamestown, Virginia, when they believe the country was birthed in slavery. The whole emphasis of the left to describe America is hostility and a conviction that America is the source of the problem. America is itself systemically racist and homophobic and every bad thing that you can think of. 
they reject the Christian perspective or the Christian worldview. And so that's why they reject the idea that we should be nationalist or patriotic in any, on any level. Or considering that this nation actually does have a decent heritage, not that it's sinlessly perfect. No nation will be. No individual on planet Earth has been except for Jesus. And so, but again, the liberals have no basis upon which to determine whether slavery is good or slavery is bad. They're just cosmic dust floating around the universe of pure chance, and they refuse to submit themselves to the transcendent law of God communicated to us in Old and New Testaments. So for that reason, they have no basis, so they just need to shut up and and get out of the argument. So, you know, bottom line is if we're going to consider the good, the bad, and the ugly in history, we have to apply God's law to it. Uh, perhaps one of the questions Christians grapple with is what is our objective for the things we do in politics? Is the goal to create another Christian nation or restore what Christian nation we had? Or is the goal to obey Christ with whatever limited power, talents, and abilities and opportunities we're given? Uh, I believe that there are nations and civilizations that have been more Christian than others. I believe that America is has been a better nation than communist China. On the basis of what you say? Well, on the basis of the standards of freedom and liberty and God's law as it defines liberty. On that basis, on the basis of God's word, America has been a better nation than communist China. And I would add to that the Soviet Union. I would add to that Russia even before, under the Romanovs. So I believe you could say that, based on the standard of God's word, that there are some nation civilizations more Christian than others, only because they had more fear of God, more recognition of the lordship of Christ, and more submission to his laws. The official statements made by the Continental Congress, for example, and you mentioned 1776, much more aligned with a Christian worldview than anything you would get out of Congress today, but but certainly much more aligned with a Christian worldview than any other nation around the world. I don't know any other nation around the world that would have been so well aligned with a Christian world and life view as the Continental Congress was in 76, 77, on into about 79, 80. Uh, the challenge we face is retrograde. You know, that's what's happening. So... So does it make sense to define ourselves as Christian nationalists? So again, I don't particularly like the phrase itself, but if we're getting into questions like, is our goal to obey Jesus Christ with whatever limited power, talents, and opportunities we're given, or whatever calling we happen to be called to, whether that be in politics or in business or whatever? Yes, we're always to obey, and we are to disciple the nations. We're to uh, continue in an ongoing process in discipling the nations. Also, all Christians should submit to God's standards of righteousness in every sphere of influence. Whether you're a politician, whether you're in the voting booth, whether you're in business, uh, we should prefer nationalism, as I said, not in the sense of glorifying our own nation over every other nation, especially today, but in the sense that we belong to this nation and we believe in the decentralization of power and we're grateful for the heritage. We're grateful for the benefits provided by a free nation. I think of the Bill of Rights. What other nation has a Bill of Rights as good as ours? It might be, you know, three or four other nations that you say, well, yeah, they've copied our Bill of Rights and it's pretty good. They got a population of, you know, 4,000 and they 
they're trying to pull together something like what America has had for 200 years. But let's face it, America has a great heritage. We need to be grateful for that while not whining too much about the problems. We're not advocating America right or wrong. We judge our own nation upon the standards of God's laws and appreciate the good things and decry that which is not right. Let me cite one example to bring it down in a very practical way of one of those 15 political candidates in the altar church in Idaho who had raised his hand and said, I will vote according to my biblical values. His name is State Senator Ben Toes, T-O-E-W-S. And he introduced a bill just last month that would prohibit any instruction involving human sexuality, sexual orientation, or gender identity, meaning you can switch genders, before the fifth grade. Now, in Florida, they said up to the third grade. I think it makes sense to do it up to the fifth grade. And this guy, by the way, according to the Idaho Capital Sun, was one of the founding incorporators of the Idaho Family Policy Center, which... So that's just one example of a Christian statesman who lived up to his commitment to vote according to biblical values. We need a lot more of that. And, and now, now let me ask the question. How many people do you think would think it a value to try to preserve a nation, to preserve a civilization? Because that's ultimately what these folks are after. Now, the liberals will say, yeah, but they're doing it the wrong way. Well, on what basis? We, we're trying to preserve a civilization. We're trying to be salt and light, which is a preserving effect for a nation. What keeps a nation together? A set of shared values of some sort. Now, our multiculturalism is probably going to kill us. Why? Because we have abandoned the shared values that are most substantial, that would form a good foundation upon which to develop a united people. Well, you say, well, how about polytheism and pluralism? Well, that leads to chaos. Democracy is not enough. Redistributing everybody's money until all the money and character is all used up, that doesn't work. Secularism has already proved that it's nothing but dry rot. It destroys nations. Well, what is left to hold a nation together? Authoritarianism or chaos? Well, that doesn't do a good job either. What is the best thing to hold a nation together? And my conclusion is God's standards, God's laws. God knows. He's really smart. He has a good standard of righteousness, and he knows how to balance the unity of the corporate state with the rights of the individual. Uh, you, you've got to, you know, you can't be total anarchy where everybody does whatever they want. You can't be total authoritarianism where you're just coming down on everybody and controlling every part of life. Well, it's God's laws that are the best standard by which to maintain social stability, a balancing out of the one and the many. So, and I think we're going to need islands of freedom. The COVID years were a testimony to that. We, we, we will have to focus our little bit of influence that we have left on doable political projects. We're going to have to be strategic. We need to keep government out of our hair, which is a comment that Douglas Wilson made on the RNS uh, feed. Uh, we need to keep government out of our hair. That's basically what he said. He said, yeah, we just... We don't want government to bother us. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the number one concern in First Timothy 2. Pray for your political leaders. But why do we pray for our political leaders? To keep them out of our hair. That's what First Timothy 2 tells us. I exhort, first of all, well, it's not exactly what it says, but this is what it says. I exhort that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for kings and uh, all authority. That's funny. 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. So there it is, right? <laughs> That's pretty much keep them, keep them out of our hair. We're trying to <laughs> lead, lead a quiet and peaceable life up here in Idaho. Please, we would like the federal government to stay out of our hair. Thank you very much. It's the Wilson uh, Study Bible. <laughs> all right. Um, well, we don't have much time left, but uh, we, 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 want to, we want to apply God's word, God's law. It's the basis of ethics. We want to be salt and light wherever we are. Do we give up on the macro culture? Do we develop islands of culture? Is it helpful to ghettoize? These are the questions we're asking. Now, these are strategic questions. I don't have answers for all of them. But the bottom line, let me leave you with this. We need healthy Christian community. We need healthy Christian families and local churches. That's the core of Christian influence in any community. Without healthy churches, healthy church commitments, the love of the body, solid biblical teaching, careful church discipline and accountability, healthy conflict resolution, humility, repentance, and the fruits of the Spirit, good teaching of the Word of God, etc. Without those sorts of things, you don't have spiritual life. You don't have a church. You don't have a church community. You need these things. You need healthy churches, healthy teaching, healthy relationships in family and church, there's no sense trying to change Washington, D.C. or the state capitol when your church involvement is nil and your church community is unhealthy. Church-hopping Christians, they don't make good, healthy church members anywhere in the world. American Christians, homeschoolers, often extreme individualists. And that's why I'm not sure that these Western Christians can always work this out with their little separatist communities. Um, they don't always work out well. The covenantal approach, of course, is much better. Either we hang together or we will hang separately, as Ben Franklin would put it. So, friends, that just kind of wraps things up. We, we really need to build from the bottom up. Cultural transformation occurs from the bottom up. Healthy families. Cultural transformation occurs when we begin to see marriages repaired and sanctified. The preaching of the gospel transforming lives. Family worship, family discipleship is happening in those families because moms and dads love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they're really loving God. They love his law. They love Jesus. And they love the body of Christ. Conservatives who are just trying to keep the Mexicans out, conservatives who just want to keep their hand on a gun all day long, conservatives who just want to preserve the last remnants of a totally trashed economy by hiding gold, conservatives who lose their children by the millions to pop culture, liberal universities, conservatives who are sending their daughters down into the engine room of the Titanic to get a college education so they can save Washington, D.C. by getting elected as a congresswoman. That, that agenda, that agenda is not enough. That's all we're saying. That agenda is not enough. That's a recipe for disaster. Keep your eye on the ball. Disciple the nations. Love God. Homeschool your kids. Uh, continue with your family worship. And if, if you're persecuted here, so you can't worship, can't disciple, can't homeschool your kids, dust off your feet and move somewhere else where you can do it. And that, by the way, was the way I ended my first book way back in the 1990s, The Second Mayflower. I ended it that way. And I still stand for that. And you can get a copy of, well, The Story of Freedom, which is really an adaptation of The Second Mayflower, and I go over these things, the strategy for where we're going from here as we continue to battle for freedom in the 21st century against the tyrants that want to control the world, create internationalism, or extremely powerful socialist governments to destroy freedom in this country. What do we do? Where do we go from here as Christians? Get a copy of The Story of Freedom 
Available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.